Mitchell. He's going to have to get one off here. That's three on the problem. shot clock. And he buries it. A fall away three. If there's anything that we know Mitchell can do, is he can get a look. A&M dominated the backboard. Didn't shoot it well, but well enough. But when you out-rebound a team by 25, the chances are pretty good you're going to win. Welcome back to Aggie Hoops Weekly, or I guess as the trend is now uh, holding, I think we may change the name of the podcast to Aggie Hoops Biweekly. Uh, David, last time we said we were going to talk about two wins, and I guess if we go two weeks, then we get to talk about two wins. It, there were two losses in there as well, but hey, two wins, right? That's exactly right, and you said it yourself. It was a two and two passage over the last two weeks. Looking at the schedule, 2-2 two and two seemed doable. It seemed achievable, but I never would have thought it would have landed in this way specifically. So in this last two weeks, we've had two home losses and two road wins. So one of those situations where it's like if you, you, you're you taking a math test and like you divide by a triangle and like you, you add a pogo stick and somehow you still get the answer of 17 and the teacher just doesn't know what to do, but technically you got the right answer. That's kind of how I feel about this because in no conceivable way should this be the way you landed a 2-2 two and two week, but that's what we did. And We've got a team that shows a hell of a lot of fight, more so on the road than at home, but still, it's been a fun couple of weeks. Yeah, this is kind of one of those things where, going back to your math test analogy, usually in those situations, don't make me show my work, please don't make me show my work. Actually, in this, I think when when the, when the basketball team starts to show their work, things look a lot better. You know, you're seeing you're seeing this team progress, you're seeing them evolve. I like where this is going. The the home losses are a little bizarre. You're right. I don't didn't expect it to play out this way. In fact, if you told me two weeks ago that the team was going to split the next four games, I would have gone the exact opposite with the home wins, road losses, and not just based on home and road. It was really based on quality of opponents. But hey, I'm I'm happy to see the guys pick up the the victories on the road, become road warriors, and let's see how let's see how things evolve from here. Let's do it. And we're gonna start with what was the easiest game, a home tilt against South Carolina, a game that we were projected to win via Ken Palm, a game where we were literal Vegas favorites, which in uh, in accordance with our opening salvo here, is a game we definitely lost. So we did lose this game to South Carolina at home. 81 to 67. The first half wasn't really that interesting. We started kind of slow as we tend to do, but we did stick around for a while en route to a 37-31 halftime deficit. But as we've also done uh, this season, we came out and we played well after the break. We completely erased that six-point disadvantage, if you want to call it that. We pushed the lead, not pushed the lead, but we got up to a 49-48 lead with 12 minutes remaining. And then what I told people on Twitter, Blake, and what I'll tell you right now, is that South Carolina went NBA Jam team fire on us. <laughs> it was everybody was making threes. Everybody was crashing the glass on offense, and honestly, to, to be candid, they just buried us. So the, the raw numbers here are they hit nine threes and had ten offensive rebounds over the last 12 minutes, and that's going to do it, man. That's going to bury you at every level of basketball. Final score, South Carolina 81, A&M 67. And my emotion here, Blake, before I toss it over to you, we were favorites heading into this game, which to me it did two things. It kind of spoke to how far we had come leading into this game, that we were actually favorites in an SEC game. But it also spoke to the opportunity lost. Yeah, absolutely. This this was definitely a lost opportunity. But you're right. The 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 team fire analogy is a perfect one. There was just no way that the Aggies were gonna were gonna beat that. Even on their best shooting night, AM hasn't been hitting on that 
on that level, especially not from behind the arc. So in that regard, you really have to just tip your hat to to South Carolina and say, well played, and we, we go on to the next one, unfortunately. And the thing I'd like to focus on here, Blake, is that I want to dive beyond layer one of the, of the statistics, which, of course, at some layer, it it's a bad defensive effort when you allow that that total of points, that those type of shooting numbers. That's not great. But in the postgame press conference, Buzz had some interesting comments, one of which was a, uh, a phrase I hadn't heard before. He called them wood twos. And he's referring to buckets inside the three-point line that are not putbacks. And he said, by that metric, South Carolina is the 11th best team in the country at that. You and I have talked about at length, one of the things we try to do above all else is to try to stop teams from doing that, right? Keep people out of the paint, keep them at the three-point line, out of the paint, off the free throw line. We did part one of our job pretty well, and we did it about as well as anyone has done against South Carolina all season long. We just didn't close, Blake. We just didn't close people out. So in that sense, it was a job half done. Um, and Buzz's postgame comments, he was frustrated with how we didn't close out. But he did note that the game plan, at least part one of the game plan, was executed. Yeah, definitely. And, and the closeout was absolutely the problem here. Too many, way too many open looks for South Carolina. They have to knock them down, sure. But you you don't want to give them wide open looks. And you know, credit to South Carolina, I think they put us in some bad spots with forcing us to rotate and keep them out of the paint keep them on the perimeter but when we did they took advantage they they moved the ball it wasn't one pass it was one then two then three find the open man and and a wide open look so that was just a really really tough thing to counter it, it really was the kryptonite for for the game plan AM had put together to stop South Carolina they 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 found the way to counteract what we were trying to prevent on uh, on their offense so the other thing I think that the Aggies really struggled with three-point shooting again. We've we've it's been this recurring theme. We know how bad we've talked about how low the Aggies had fallen. We we saw a glimmer of hope. Things were great. Look at three-point percentage. We're we're improving. We had a great night against Vanderbilt. Things were starting to slowly creep up, and then they cratered again. It was the good feelings gone finding Nemo meme is what it was. We had a fun little week there, and then things returned to form in, in dastardly fashion. I will note, I thought our offensive game plan was pretty good. So yes, we did not shoot threes well, but we also only shot 14 threes. We really focused on getting Nebo looks. He had 10 field goal attempts, which may have been his high for the season. There were things we did well in this game, but as with, as with our discussion on the defensive side... The offensive job was was only half done. Yeah, and this is this is exactly what we need to do. In all honesty, this was a blueprint for an Aggie win, with the exception of the defensive piece. You look at the the offensive game plan they executed. They hit sixty seven points. To me, that's right about where this team needs to be. Anything sixty five or better, they have a good shot at winning a game. It's just about preventing preventing that offensive explosion that you saw from South Carolina. In this one, they couldn't quite do it. The other thing I think we saw in this one is the Aggies got dominated on the glass, which hadn't been an issue for several weeks. AM had, had done a really nice job, especially with the emergence of Emmanuel Miller. This is a, a recurring theme that we've talked about. LSU uh, was was a rough game, and this was a this was another rough rebounding game. South Carolina had a 44% offensive rebounding rate. And the Aggies got dominated on the boards. So just not a good look. And I think the what was, the total rebounding was a 38 to 27 advantage for South Carolina. 
getting getting out rebounded at home like that just not not a good way to go, especially when the other team's shooting as well as South Carolina was. Well, let's stop talking about home games because as we've learned. Road equals good, home equals bad. So I'm going to talk about our road trip to Columbia, Missouri, which we squeaked out 66 to 64. I thought, actually, Blake, for the narrative of our season, I, I thought this was actually a pretty important one. You don't want to get, you don't want to stack too many losses, even if you're a team that doesn't have terribly high expectations. We had lost the, uh, our two games coming into this one. Part of why I think it worked out so well is we decided to start a basketball game playing good. You know how we love to just give away these eight, 10 point leads to start the game, and we decided maybe we won't do that this time. And we jumped out to a 16 to eight lead. Things are going great. And then the dreaded scenario happens, Blake, that you and I have feared all year. Nebo gets in early foul trouble. And it fell apart exactly as you would think it fell apart. Mizzou immediately responds with a 12-0 run. We kind of restored momentum, but it still felt kind of like an opportunity lost, to be honest, as we hit the break down 32-27. to But again, as is almost always the case, we killed it coming out of halftime. Immediate 10-0 run coming out of not an immediate 10 run, but we stabilized coming out of the half pretty quickly, and then we hit a 10-0 run that was mostly keyed by, by defense that pushed us to a 62-53 to lead with 140 remaining, and then, Blake, things got insane. Um, there's no better way to describe it than to just list the things that happened because it was so insane. So I'm, I'm going to hit that It was here. bizarre. And yeah, I'm, it I'm, was so bizarre. Sorry. I, I, I don't know what else to do other than to just list them off quickly. So that's what I'm going to do. We were up 62 to 53 with 140 remaining. And this last 140, Blake, took 21 minutes of real life time. It was everything people dislike about college basketball packaged into one frustrating timeout review, commercial timeout review. You know what I mean? Just it was it was very, very choppy and unfulfilling to watch. So I'm going to list these things off to you and they're going to sound fun and exciting in quick succession. Just note that they didn't really happen in quick succession. So Missouri immediately hits a three to cut the lead to 62 to 56. We hit one free throw. They hit two free throws. And then we do our patented turnover, give up a three, another turnover (laughs) in three straight possessions, at which point uh, we have now coughed up almost the entire lead in the span of 37 seconds. It's now 63-61 A&M. Missouri hits a free throw and A&M misses a couple. Uh, We'll get into the details there, but... The end result is that we uh, we continue to kind of trade free throws and fouls and ugly play until we are leading 66-64 with two seconds remaining. And then Missouri runs what I said is almost like a perfect inbounds play. They throw the ball the length of the court to somebody who jumps and catches it underneath the ba- basket in one fell swoop. He throws it out to someone for a wide open three, and he misses. And just by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin, we sneak. We steal a victory, and, and, we, and we crawl out of Columbia, Missouri with a 66-64 win, looking like we stole something. I mean, it was just written all over our faces. Yeah, oh yeah. This was this was definitely a stolen game. Let's start with that that 2-minute passage right there at the end of the game. I was actually not able to watch this game in 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 real time. I was at dinner with coworkers. I was traveling on business and so we were out, but I'm holding my phone in my lap just and I, I I love Twitter's new uh, score tracking feature where you can where they keep the scores updated. So I'm sitting here on Twitter just reading reading updates and watching the score update, and I'm like, why is this taking so long? What in the world is happening? Because for <laughs> for 20 minutes, I'm like completely toned tuned out of conversation, just staring at staring down at my phone sitting in my lap. Uh, so, uh, yeah, apologies to my coworkers who I'm sure none of them are listening, but you know, this, it was, yeah, it was just not a good passage of play for either team. The Aggies really did. When you say steal one, this was definitely a stolen victory just based on that last two minute passage alone. Yeah. So a game that, is it possible to 
it was like a choke steal, you know, because we had it well in hand, and then we we butchered it to the point that it truly was lucky that we escaped with the win. So I don't know how you categorize that, but it was something that I think you and I have talked about before. Blake is it's a team still learning how to play from ahead, and this was very on display is in this last two minutes was our complete lack of experience in playing from ahead and closing out good teams so job done we did close them out but it really there's a lot left uh, a lot left to be desired in some of those late possessions one thing I want to talk about here that that I breezed through I know I kind of yada yada this part of the second half that wasn't the last two minutes we gave our second unit a long extended stretch in a big game for really Blake maybe the first time all year it was or sorry Gordon and the four bench players and they held their own. Uh, Miller hit his first three of the season. Yeezy hit a big three. I thought it was really cool and something I hope we continue to interject, the fact that we gave, I mean, honestly, it was like a four-minute uninterrupted stretch where it was just the twos, you know, playing in a big SEC game on the road. I thought it was good for their confidence that the lead did not dwindle at all on their watch. Yeah, Aku was faced uh, with with the proposition of more significant minutes with Nebo in foul trouble in the first half. So that was it was good to see him, you know, get get some more run. Of course, in all honesty, I was actually surprised he didn't get more than he actually did. He only ended up with nine minutes in the game, but I kind of expected him to end up with something more in the neighborhood of 12 to 15 minutes. But I think a lot of those a lot of that time, Goltekin came in and filled some of that gap. Uh, Miller played played a pretty good role in that absence. And of course, Savion helped and they, you know, they went with kind of that smaller lineup for a significant portion as well. And it's not too much to discuss, but the uh, the Tigers went 31 for 31 from the line in their game against Alabama. They followed that up with hitting their first 23 free throws against us, which for the math enthusiasts among you puts them at 54 consecutive made free throws, setting a new all-time D1 record. I mean, it's it was truly insane what they were doing. It's also truly insane, Blake, to hit 54 straight free throws and lose both games. So they lost to us and they lost to Alabama, which I find truly truly bizarre uh, two other kind of fun wrinkles uh, with this streak is they were down one the, the streak was broken when they were down one with under 10 seconds remaining that's when they finally missed was when you know had they made that when they would have tied the game and then even later beyond that point there was a free throw they were trying to miss because that would have given them the best chance to tie the game and they made it so it was like they were like they were like sentient free throw robots who couldn't even miss it. They tried at one point. <laughs> Only they did miss the one they really couldn't afford to miss. So I don't know, kind of a fascinating subplot to this game. It really was. And that one that they that they missed there at the end was really the worst possible timing because if they make that one and tie the game up, it completely changes the complexion of the last ten seconds. But at that point, AM was AM was still ahead. Missouri misses. They're forced to foul. Now, flag goes to the line and misses two free throws very, very badly. Flag goes to the line, misses two free throws very badly, but Jackson was able to draw the charge. He was able to to not convert his free throws, and the Aggies once again escape with their lives in this one. Well, we had fun discussing a road victory, which means let's go back to a home game and an, against a against a an ice cold opponent. A game that was ripe for the pickings. A game where, you, if you were an A&M fan, you felt uh, this is a game we could, maybe even Blake should win. Which, of course, means we were down by double digits for the entire second half and barely put up a fight. So 
I really don't want to stick around in Oklahoma State land too long. It wasn't fun. I was there. It was very depressing. Uh, Buzz called it post-game our worst defensive effort of the year. I wouldn't go quite so far uh, compared to some of our early season efforts back before we started turning things around. But I will say definitively, this was our worst defensive effort since Christmas, you know, since we started really, really putting things uh, on track. Uh, In terms of the ebb and flow, we had a 16-12 lead about eight minutes in. Uh, but then we didn't really do much for the last 12 minutes, and uh, OSU hit the break with a 36-34 advantage. The whole time in the first half, like warning shots were fired. Oklahoma State did what I thought Missouri did a good job of in that they were willing to make the extra pass. Our defense is kind of like a scramble fighter situation where we close and we close and we close and we close, but if you're willing to pump fake and pass and pump fakes and pass and pass and pass, eventually we run out of people to throw at you, right? And so Oklahoma State was, I mean, they were getting really good shots at almost every possession for the entirety of the first half. They missed a bunch of them, but like I said, the warning shots had been fired. And for maybe the first time all year, we did not adjust, which is almost like a shock to the system, right? We're so used to seeing Buzz solve everything in the opening passage of play in the second half. And instead what happened is Oklahoma State kept doing the exact same thing. They kept getting to the paint at will. Gosh, I forgot the numbers. I think Buzz said 70-something percent of their possessions got into the paint, which was their worst number, A&M's worst number defensively all season. And so the ebb and flow, or not the ebb and flow, but every possession kept playing out the same way, only they started hitting their shots. And to be honest, man, uh, Oklahoma State, they had this lead pushed to 19 midway through the second half. I do want to note one of the things you get from being at the game is you can kind of follow the ebbs and flows of the crowd a little better than you can on TV. And there was this one cool moment where we got a couple threes and a stop and a dunk. We had cut that lead to 11, and the crowd, which literally hadn't been given anything to cheer about all day, finally seized the moment and stood up and got into it. We had this like token three-quarter press going. Things were looking promising. And the Cowboys sliced through that press like a hot knife through butter, immediately hit a three to push it back up to 14. It was one of those days, right? At that point, we all just knew. And Buzz not- calls a timeout, and, and yeah. you just you the the momentum was lost, and the air went out of the building. It did. It did. It basically sounded like a air getting lit out of a balloon. So final score seventy three sixty two. But make no mistake about it, this one was never in doubt. No, and as you said, and as Buzz alluded to, it was the Aggies' worst performance defensively since Christmas, but they also married that with a pretty terrible offensive performance as well. Uh, Shot 39% in field goal percentage, 28% from three. Not not a good shooting night for for A&M. They were 7 for 25 from behind the arc. In my opinion, that's way too many three-pointers for this team. We talked about it. The fewer threes, the better. Now, part of that is you're trying to play catch up late in the game, and I think that 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 skews the numbers a little bit. But even then, the threes were pretty evenly distributed between the first half and the second half. The Aggies kind of got away from what was working. Too much too much reliance on the three-pointer. I think they were scrambling a bit because of the poor defensive possessions and just could never find their their footing offensively. And I agree with your assessment. Uh, 15 threes feels right. 25 does not feel right. I it just any anytime we clear 20, unless it's a game like a couple of the games we saw that we discussed during our last podcast where we're hitting early and it's clearly a different vibe. Short of that, we don't need to be shooting more than 15 threes. So uh, I'm with you there that the offense didn't help, but the story truly, truly was the fact that the defense really wasn't there, and it kind of in a way made me appreciate the defensive effort we've been seeing because. To see the absence of that effort was jarring. It was like a, a literal shock to the system. One other thing I want to note is I felt, and I didn't, I don't really know how to, how to say this other than to say, I felt like the team didn't really care about the Big 12 challenge. I think there was a, I don't know if that's a top-down mentality. Um, I don't know if 
Buzz changed anything about the way he prepped for the game. I thought there were a couple of moments where he just let people work through it live instead of calling timeouts. There were other moments where the second unit, who wasn't as effective in this game as they were in the prior game, was kind of given more time to figure it out. There were little nuggets here and there that may have suggested that he didn't really care and he was willing to use this as a teaching moment. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have another game to talk about after this because the effort did get much better against Tennessee, but it was jarring, right? It was weird to watch... I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It was just a regression. It was a regression back to the pre-Christmas days uh, in this game against Oklahoma State. Yeah, and there was definitely some frustration on the Aggies' part. There's one incident I don't want to gloss over just because it did have an impact on uh, what you saw against Tennessee. But there was a, a moment in the late in the second half where J.J. Chandler actually stepped on an Oklahoma State player's face and was uh, summarily teed up and ejected from the game. So he he did post an apology to Twitter afterwards, but I it was it was clearly a frustration move. Things were not going well. You could just tell from everybody's body language that that nobody was really happy with with the way things were were playing out. JJ took things a bit too far, and it certainly was not a good look for Fraggy basketball. And it's certainly not what you would expect from JJ. He's been a really high quality, high character guy. I think under the circumstances, you you just kind of brush it off and say, well, it was a bad game. Everybody was frustrated and, and move on. But I, it, it did, as we'll talk about, come, come into play a little bit in the Tennessee one. It did. And the, the only thing for me on JJ is he's not a dirty player, but it was a dirty play, right? I think it's, it's true to hold both of those thoughts simultaneously. It was a frustration. It was a moment of frustration we haven't seen anything else like this from him in three years, so I'm not too concerned that he's made a, a turn to the dark side or anything like that. I think it was just, it was a bad day. It was a bad day. Emotion got the best of him. He apologized. I would imagine, even though we didn't immediately see the end of it, it will not be long before we see the end of it. Yeah, I think so. So let's continue the ebb and flow of we are terrible at home, we're great on the road, terrible at home. So we went on the road and got another W. We just finished here a few hours ago a game at Tennessee that we won 63-58. to The first half of this one, really not worth writing about. Um, The one joke I made was it was a 5.30 tip, which is 30 minutes earlier than normal for these midweek starts. And maybe the players didn't know that either because the opening eight minutes was just, God, it was ugly, Blake. It was real bad. Uh, Things got a little bit better in the the latter 12 minutes, but it's still, I mean, there were fewer than 50 total points in the half. Halftime score of uh, A&M 25, Tennessee 24. The Vols came out. And they, they they were a different team in the early portion of the second half. They started pulling away. I don't think they got up to 10 or anything, but I think that that advantage got up to 6 or 8. And then we came back in the weirdest way. It wasn't like we didn't win through these fluid, pretty offensive sets, and we didn't come back by hitting threes or these like fun-looking drives to the basket. We came back through offensive rebounding and free throws. I mean, we just we pounded Tennessee on the glass to a level, Blake, that I didn't know we had. I mean, we. This was uh, to put it to to put the numbers in perspective. We dominated Tennessee on the offensive glass worse than anyone has dominated us on the glass this year, right? And we have been killed on the glass this year, and still we haven't been killed as bad as we killed Tennessee just a few hours ago. So it was a combination of those two things that we used to kind of chip away again, ugly, not pretty fashion, but effective chip away leading to a uh, the audio that you're going to hear at the opening of this pod. So at fifty three fifty three with a little under a minute remaining. And our offensive set falls apart, and Chuck Mitchell, who had a game-high 23 points, just kind of does his little step back to the right and drains an absurd 29-footer to, to put this sucker on ice. So final score was 63-58. Two wins in one podcast, Blake. Yeah, two wins. How about that? 
It's amazing when you look at the stat line because y- you know me. I'm I'm a a defense and rebounding guy. Uh, I love I love big man play. It's amazing when you look at the stat sheet and see that A and M went 17 for 56 from the field for a 30.4 field goal percentage, and they win when Tennessee shot 46.7 percent. To me, you look at that, and that should just be a, a pure indicator of. A 15-point loss, at yes, least, yes, at the should. bare minimum, 15-point loss. How did this happen? You 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 mentioned it, offensive rebounding. AM had 23 offensive rebounds. That's 23 offensive rebounds out of 46 total rebounds. I, I've, I've never seen a statistic like this in two Power 5 conference teams. You know, you'll see, you'll see crazy numbers like this when you're playing the Sisters of the Poor, but to to out rebound Tennessee forty six to twenty one, our we had twenty three offensive rebounds and they only had twenty one total rebounds. That's the way that you make up for for a poor shooting percentage. I'm I'm really stunned. I'm at a loss. I, I'm really impressed. But how does how does that even happen? And I'll say it's it's not uncommon to see offensive rebounds used as a building block to help you win a game but not as the blunt object with which you beat someone <laughs> mercilessly <laughs> in the temple. I mean, this wasn't just one of the reasons we won the game. It was the it was the reason we won the game. Um the the numbers here, the offensive rebounding rate, I always I, I always like using the uh the percentages on these cuz it, it it factors how effective you are independent of the number of total possessions. We rebounded 57.5% of our missed shots. So that's that was, outrageous. It's an almost five eighths chance that if A and M missed a shot, that we were going to get the ball back and get another field goal attempt. That's a number that I'm not even sure I've seen <laughs> in, in a game against the Sisters of the Poor. I'm sure it's out there, but I, I don't have an easy way to look for this. I was kind of poking around the Kim Palm site uh, an hour ago. I'm guessing it is among the highest individual rates in a game between two P5 teams this season. Now, I wish I could confirm that, but I feel like it would have to be. You just don't see dominance like this between two teams with equal levels of athleticism. As to the why, Blake, I have no dang idea. I just, I have no idea. Jonathan Aku was a huge part of it with seven offensive rebounds by his lonesome, but in terms of anything structurally or anything, you know, X's and O's, I mean, they asked that exact question of Buzz in postgame. He said he didn't really know. I mean, former big man, do you have any insight? Did we do anything different? Did we step on people's shoes? What happened down there? I, I, I don't see anything and I didn't see anything in the game. There's nothing in the stat sheet. There's nothing as it was happening. I was, I was just sitting here scratching my head saying, how in the world is this happening? Even looking at, you know, the lineup for Tennessee and saying, this is a normal sized lineup. These guys aren't any smaller than any other team. I, I I really am, am at a loss. And what's, what was odd. The other oddity to me in the stat sheet is, Okay, you say we have 23 offensive rebounds. I'm thinking Nebo's going to have 18, 20 points, right? Nebo had four points. That's it. He was one of one from the field and knocked down a pair of free throws. That's it. Four points for Nebo on one shot and two free throws. None of it makes sense. No, it, it's bizarre. Uh, Miller Miller chipped in four offensive boards. He had seven points on the night. But I don't understand. Aku... As you mentioned, had his seven boards. He did 
have two points. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't like this like this these easy putbacks, right? Where you're where guys are just getting a a, a quick easy tip in uh, on an offensive board. It was rebound and then kick out and set up and go again. So it you can offset a bad shooting night in that regard when when you're rebounding that way. But I, I wouldn't count on it as a uh, as a offensive strategy for the long term. It it is truly going to be one of the more bizarre box scores we see all year. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I do want to highlight a couple of individual performances. Uh, Quentin Jackson, I feel like Blake is really hitting his stride as the six man. He's uh, He's now hit double figures for the third time in four games. He had 11 points in this one. I feel like his defensive play has stepped up. He's become a more a better all-around player. And and I heard Buzz in an interview talk about Jackson's development. And he said that in his experience, these JC guys, they don't always hit the ground running, right? Sometimes it just it just takes a little bit to just to, to find that next gear and to realize what the day in, day out grind is going to be like and what you need to do to succeed. The way he put it was Jackson is starting to become what he needs to be, right? And what And what he will need to be to succeed at the next level. I feel like he's made the jump. I would be surprised if we don't continue to see output like this from him. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. His his game is perfectly suited to what this team is trying to do at this point. I think he's 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 exactly what you want. He's a guy who's going to penetrate. He's going to try to get to the rim. He'll knock down some open jumpers, but he he doesn't have to rely on an outside shooting game uh, to to get his looks. So. That's really what this team needs right now because there is no outside shooting game for the Aggies. So the best the best way he can he can get there is to to help penetrate, draw some attention, and try to take some pressure off inside and and create another uh, another body that that defenses have to pay attention to. The other one I wanted to highlight was Emmanuel Miller, who led the team in rebounding yet again. But the piece I want to note is that he's actually bumped up the scoring. Oftentimes when he led the team in rebounding, he was having these. 2.12 rebound performances, right? But he's been averaging nine points a game over the last two weeks. Um, he's snuck into, what's the term they use? Defensive rebounding rate, just how well do you rebound defensively? He's now third in the SEC among all SEC players. So he's he's had a nice little run. I feel like he's got a, not a good shot, but he's going to at least make some noise for SEC, uh, uh, for, for an all SEC freshman team if, if he keeps playing like this. So great job by Miller. Um, just I, I just wanted to note, really above all else, that his offensive contribution has kicked up lately. Yeah, he he really has has turned the corner in that regard. You love to watch him play. Just he's he's, and you hear the announcers talk about it a lot. He's one of those high motor guys, high energy. He he does all the little things that you want, and that's why Buzz has got him out there, right? He has no problems crashing the boards. He has no problems doing the dirty work, putting in the the hard defensive minutes. That's everything you want out of out of a, a, a young freshman. And you keep doing that, you're going to keep seeing playing time. And now that the offensive game is rounding into form for Miller, he's he's got a lot of potential to to make his mark for the rest of this season and looking looking ahead to next year. So before we close out Tennessee, just two things I wanted to note in terms of missing bodies on on the team this evening. Uh, Chandler did not play obviously a coach's decision based on the, uh, the Oklahoma state incident that we referred to earlier. And then French was out with an undisclosed injury. So hoping that that's not a, a prolonged absence for French. He's, he's been a nice stabilizing force. However, it looks like Gordon has, has 
pretty much solidified himself as the starting point guard for this team. But it is nice to have French coming off the bench to stabilize and, and run with those those younger guys and make sure that things don't get too far out of hand. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that French situation. Yeah, and I, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping we see both of those guys soon because even though it worked to run seven guys against Tennessee, it's probably not a good long-term strategy with how hard we play on defense to, to run shorthanded. So I'd like a full complement of guys sooner rather than later. Um, and for me, Blake, we can kind of start wrapping things up. What I'm excited about is the next portion of our schedule. As with all things this season, I'm not looking too far beyond the end of my nose. And I kind of feel like we have a fun little three-game stretch coming up. We're going to get games against South Carolina, Georgia, and Missouri. I mean, it feels like we have a decent shot to take a couple of those, especially since two of the three are on the road. That's where we tend to play our best ball anyway. It's a fun it's a fun opportunity to see how far we can push this thing because no one expected us to be four and three. It's great. We're here. There's a kind of an interesting soft meet in the middle of our conference schedule that we could potentially attack. So I don't know, man. Maybe if nothing else, we can at least stay at or around 500 for a little while longer. And that's the piece I'm excited about is we've established a game plan. We've established a strategy that that can allow us to win with our current roster and I don't think we're going to be too badly outgunned talent wise in the next 10 days so that's the piece I'm looking forward to yeah I think you're exactly right in in terms of SEC standings you're now sitting at a winning record uh, in in conference play I think if you had asked either of us at, at the beginning of conference play, certainly after the Orlando Invitational, if this team would ever be above 500 in SEC play, I think both of us would have mortgaged our houses against that probability <laughs> after Orlando. So to see this team at four and three in conference play, 10 and nine overall, to me, that feels like a really encouraging sign. We've been talking for several weeks about these guys are turning the corner. It's starting to get there. You're starting to see the evolution of Quentin Jackson. Andre Gordon has been a very consistent, very steady force. He'll he'll erupt for some big offensive explosions occasionally, but he does he won't do that every game, but he's always a good steady hand, right? He he's not turning the ball over excessively. He's creating good opportunities for other guys. I like what I'm seeing out of Gordon. I like the direction that this this thing is headed. You 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 hit the nail on the head looking ahead on this schedule with games against Mizzou and South Carolina. I, I could see almost a reverse split of the first matchups against both of these teams. I could see us easily losing to Mizzou, uh, picking up a win in South Carolina. It, it feels a little bit hard to predict almost uh, in in just because of the the weird. The weird circumstances of, of the first round of games against both of these teams. You don't really know what you're going to expect to see. But I do think Buzz does a really nice job getting these guys prepared to play on the road. They, I think they like that road warrior mentality, us against the world. When you have young guys, sometimes that that young guy can can seize that mentality where where there's kind of a hostile crowd and you know you you co- you go for that that let's shut them up and and make it nice and quiet in this arena you, you go for that momentum and and I think it works with this group so it'll be interesting to see with two games on the road and the next three uh, a trip to Athens to take on Georgia uh, on Saturday and then follow that up with uh, Mizzou at home. I'm I'm looking forward to what what I think could be a, a really fun week. 
I think it can be too. Hopefully you and I talk soon. And when we do, there are more victories to discuss. Talk to you soon, buddy. Take care. <laughs>